I'm going to continue today to speak on the topic that we started last week, the series on biblical justice. And uh, it's amazing to me the, the difference a week can make. I was saying to Dustin beforehand when we, when we came together for prayer that, uh, you know, last Sunday when I, when I came in to minister, um, I was just so heavy and so burdened. And, uh, you know, we were standing in the wake of a, a shooting that had, um, you know, caused uh, an, uh, some protests, and then the protests ended up turning into riots, and we're standing right in the wake of that after so many other things, the, the death of Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd, and then we'd had one last Friday right in our own city. And I just was so heavy last week and so prayerful, carrying uh, burdens in my own soul and trying to put them before the Lord. And then, then this week, um, again, just we, we, many challenges actually, but on Friday, we had over 700 pastors and church leaders, 13,000 people from all denominations, cultures, generations, gathered together right in the center of our city in Centennial Olympic Park, right where some of the most uh, sort of difficult things had taken place, some of the, the protests that had turned into to really negative rioting, and, and we were able to bring the church right into the city and bring the power of the kingdom right into the crisis bring his presence right into the pain and to see the church respond. And then as we stood together and, and marched arm in arm to see racism overthrown in every facet of our society, it was historic. It was epic. Uh, you know, we, we took 25,000 people to Stone Mountain and that was amazing and there was just something about the moment this Friday that for me it was even more surreal it was even more dramatic and um, I just stand in awe I stand in awe of what God's doing you have to when divine moments are taking place you have to catch them we're so used to just scrolling past stuff in our news feed that we just we're just looking for the next hot, hot topic and I'm telling you right now, the hot topic is Jesus and what Jesus is doing to overturn the, 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 the tide in our nation to, to make all the wrong things right. That's the hot topic. And um, I would just, I was so close to adding CNN. I wanted to add them. I wanted to add MSNBC and Fox News, because when negative things are going, you, you can't get enough news cameras on it. They keep them rolling. We got to just, I mean, they eyewitness reporters down there following everybody. I'm like, where are you at, CNN? Where are you? Where are you, MSNBC, when 13,000 believers in the name of Jesus stand in the streets and stand against injustice and racism and the church declares the name of Jesus right into it, where are you at? And so here we are, and I mean, the numbers of leaders, pastors, churches that sowed, that gave to see that event, event take place, that showed up, 
the hundreds of you from our spiritual family that showed up, that volunteered, the men in our spiritual family that led the event. I mean, it is just one week. What a difference. Because nothing in the natural has changed, really. But God is on the move right now. And you have to catch what's happening. The Lord's been speaking to us prophetically. I'm just, I'm just, I'm going to get into the teaching here in a moment, but I just want to share this. He's been speaking to us prophetically this year through dreams and encounters privately. Several of our prophetic folks, they're getting this message that the Lord, in the midst of judgment, he's going to release revival. That it's both and. He's exposing us in our shallowness and in our sin as a nation, as a church, and in the midst of it, he's going to release a mercy stroke of an outpouring of his spirit. And so what I saw Friday, it, it sparked my heart. And I told Dustin, I said, I, I feel like the difference for me was, yeah, I, I felt hopeless almost last week. Last, you know, just, I was just fighting hope against hope. And this week, the Lord goes, you just don't understand what I'm really doing. I'm really moving. And, I, and hope again, I mean, it just, the ember got, it got dim in my soul, but it enraged on Friday afternoon as I saw God do something that only God can do. Only God can do. In two weeks, in two weeks, 500 churches, 13,000 believers, the entire budget came in, was met, and more. Come on now. In two weeks, I mean, it's shocking. And uh, anyway, I'm, I, want, I want to prick your holy imagination right now. And I, wa I want to emphasize something. CNN and Fox News and MSNBC are not telling you the truth. There's another report. Who will believe the report of the Lord? There is another report. And God is on the move. Yes, there's a lot of work yet to, to happen. Yes, there's much more that must be done. But I'm telling you, something shifted and moved in the spirit on Friday. And anybody that connected that sensed that God was doing something. I had an amazing conversation with one of the fathers of our city, Crawford Loritz. Just a, a man of God. He's, he's, he's been preaching and teaching in our city for 30 plus years. And uh, he said, I was there. In, 19, in the 1960s, I was there in the civil rights movement. He said, I was 18 years old when Dr. King was assassinated. He said, I was there, and he goes, it was mind-blowing because you never saw any other responses almost at all from churches besides churches that had black leadership. So churches with white leadership were completely silent when Dr. King was assassinated. He said it was a shock. It was so challenging. And he looked me in, in the eye and, and Bishop Hunt, who we're the founders of One Race, he looked us in the eye and he said, I want to tell you something. It's different right now. I said, really? He goes, oh yeah. He goes, the fact that we have black and white, Asian, Hispanic, all saying the same thing. He goes, it's different. And man, when he said that to me, I, I just... I was like, God is doing something that we've never seen before in our nation. And you've got to catch it. When there's a divine moment like this, you've got to catch it. And you've got to agree with the report of the Lord. Amen. I just needed to, I just needed to give the Lord some praise this morning on that. I mean, it's just, 
stunning what he's doing and what he's done and what he's going to do. Amen. All right, well, I am going to preach on biblical justice. I want to I wanna take us through a, a bit of a recap from last week just to, just to itemize the key points we talked about. And, and then I want to talk about justice, judgment, and mercy and how those work together biblically. And then I want to talk about the core issue of biblical justice. How do we discern what is God's justice versus other things that use the term justice, but they're not biblical justice. I'll call them false justice. And um, right on the top of this message, I will recommend a book by a dear friend of mine, Stuart Greaves. He's written a book called False Justice. I would encourage everybody to get that book. You can go on Amazon, get that book and read it. He gives a perspective on justice in the earth uh, at the end of the age unto the coming of the Lord, and, and he expresses how there will be uh, movements uh, that will uh, co-op biblical language, but they won't have a core that's uh, focused in a, on a biblical worldview. It is an important book to read in this hour. All right, let's do this. Um, I want to ask you just again just to pray with me. We'll ask the Holy Spirit to help, to instruct us, Help me to clearly articulate the word. So, Lord, let's just go to the Lord. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit. You're the teacher. And, Lord, I yield myself to you. I only want to say what you'd have me to say, Father. I only want to do what you'd have me to do. I'm not here to please any man. I want to please you. So let your word come forth like a river. Let your word come forth like a hammer. Help me to speak as an oracle. Help me to teach the word with precision. And I pray that you'd release the spirit of revelation on our hearts and you draw us in to who you are and what it is you're doing in the earth. Open our eyes to see wondrous things from your word. Lord, we love you. We want to give you all the glory. We're here for you, you and you alone. We love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen. All right. Say a little better amen, guys. Amen. All right. There we go. I gotta, you're here. I got to hear you. Come on. All right. So last week, we did part one on this. And, and last week, I, I mentioned this, uh, this axiom called Miles Law. And Miles Law says this that where you stand depends on where you sit. And so the idea is what you listen to, the avenues that you choose to, to hear from, those avenues are gonna determine where you stand on issues and, and where you kind of, kind of align your heart. And, and, and we talked about how the Lord has an opinion about that in, in Psalm 1, he says this, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. 
He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. And I just want to say this is not a good idea or you know, a recommendation. This is a requirement from heaven. Don't stand in the council. Don't walk in the council of the wicked. Don't stand in the path of sinners, and don't sit in the seat of scoffers. And I mentioned last week how there's a progression there. You start off walking in the counsel of the wicked, then you stop. Now you're standing in the way with sinners. And then after a while, you're sitting in the, in the seat of a scornful person. Well, well where, you, where you sit is gonna determine where you stand. And then where you stand is gonna determine where you end up sitting. And the Lord says, no, 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 you have got to get in and meditate on my law and my word and let my word release kingdom reality and kingdom authority inside of you that will bring blessing and prosperity. Then we started talking about the nature and the knowledge of God. And we talked about how God loves justice. Our God loves justice. Would you just say God loves justice? God loves justice. His throne is established upon righteousness and justice. And all his ways are justice. So when we think about justice, we have to recognize this is a component of the nature of God. He declares it in Exodus 34. He actually describes himself as a God who does not clear the unrepentant guilty, but he actually visits upon them the activity of their own sin. He is a God of justice. This is what he does. This is who he is. It's, it's part of his very nature. And so the fact that he loves justice, his ways are justice, his throne is established on righteousness and justice. The alternate is also true that when, when we don't love just, justice, we are in opposition to God. When we don't uh, go with righteousness and justice together, we are standing in opposition to his rule. And, and, if, and if we're not going for justice, if somebody's saying, hey, you should just talk less about justice, you're actually in opposition to all of his ways because all of his ways are justice. And so we have to get that really clear in our minds that this is not some, you know, biblical justice is not some side issue to the gospel. It's very central to the nature and the knowledge of God, and it's very central to the gospel. Justice, and we defined this last week, is carrying out righteousness toward man. Justice is the expression, the manifestation of righteousness toward other people. We talked about Jesus' teachings were always instructing us to do righteous works, which is ultimately justice. And, and so even like do unto others as, he, as you would have them do unto you is a justice teaching. Justice also involves seeking out those who are vulnerable and, and helping them and lifting them. Uh, doing justice is a requirement for the redeemed. Micah 6, 8 makes it really clear. What does God require? But that you would do justice. You do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. And when we get in the word like this, man, the Bible, it really, it plumb lines us, and it cuts every direction. I love how the word of God, it is a locator. It is a revealer of the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. And it really, it brings us back to center. The word centers us on the will and the nature and the knowledge of God. I love it. 
Justice involves restorative actions, we said. We talked about how justice looks to repair and, 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 and work on behalf of those who have suffered injustice. And we talked about how the Bible identifies five classes of people, the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, the poor, and the oppressed. And, the, and justice, God's justice looks to meet those who have, who, have, who have suffered injustice, who are vulnerable, and lift them. And then finally, we talked about this, that there is a component of justice that is retributive justice, retribution. And that is the justice that Jesus will bring to the nations. He will bring to the nations when he returns. Isaiah 42 is very clear. He will come when the Lord returns. He's coming like a man of war. He says, I will pant and I will gasp. I will cry aloud. I've been silent for a very long time, but now I will shout. And this is Jesus in his return. Isaiah 42 makes it super clear. And when he comes, he's coming to overthrow every throne of iniquity. He's coming to make every wrong thing right. He's coming to, to set right every injustice the earth has ever seen. It's shocking. Now, just get this. Swallow this. He says in Haggai, he says when he returns, Haggai chapter 2, he says he will overthrow, watch this, the thrones of all nations. Well, why would he do that? Because injustice is so embroidered in every nation of the earth. He is going to come and overthrow every throne and establish his kingdom and his righteousness and his justice in every nation of, uh, all across the entire earth, every facet of every society of every nation across the nations of the earth. He actually has to overthrow the thrones of all nations. And so Jeremiah said it this way in Jeremiah 25, he says, he prophesies the word of the Lord. He says, the Lord says, I have a controversy with the nations. And when you, when you read the prophets, you find that the, the, uh, one of the chief issues of God's controversy with the nations of the earth is the fact that they have mistreated and oppressed the peoples. They've suppressed the widow. They've suppressed the orphan. They've suppressed the poor the foreigner, and they've oppressed those that they can. And this is the sin of the human heart. And this is what Jesus Christ came to pay for on the cross, is our brokenness and how we relate to God and reject his ways and how we express that rejection of God to others. Jesus came to pay for that on the cross. I'm gonna talk about that in just a moment. All right, so that brings us to today. I, that's the recap from last week. Th th this brings us to today now. I want to talk about this issue of judgment and how justice and mercy work together with judgment. And as I study through this, and I've studied through this many times in the past, and just even again uh, this week, um, I was struck with this, with this, you know, unusual truth, okay? And so... Um, Here's what you find. When you, when you study out the word justice in the Old Testament, and when you study out the word judgment in the Old Testament, you'll find something very interesting. The same word that is translated justice 
120 times is the same word that's translated judgment 102 times. When you're looking at the New American Standard Bible, I'm just using that as the sort of the, the, the uh, litmus, 120 times this word mishpat is, is uh, translated justice, 100 times it's translated judgment. Now think about that for a minute, because the same word is employed in multiple directions uh, for us in English. And so when we think of justice and when we think of judgment, undoubtedly different things come in your mind. But when the Lord is expressing that, those two concepts are very, very, very intertwined. They're very uh, uniquely linked together. And so um, I just want to mention this because there's a popular teaching that says that God no longer does judgment. And to say that he no longer does judgment would be to require God to deny his very nature and it would actually have to say that he no longer does justice. It, is, it couldn't be more false and, and incorrect to say that God is not a God who does justice. It would be just as wrong to say that he's a God that doesn't do judgment. That is a complete falsehood biblically. Now, here's the thing. It's not up to us to sort of, you know, reorient the way that we want God to be, and then we get to believe in the one that we kind of like. It's up to us to actually come to God, look at who he says he is, and then wrestle through who, who this God is. And, and will we love him for who he is, or will we be like the children of Israel of old, making a God in our own image and likeness? And so when we talk about these issues of justice, if it makes you uncomfortable, that's probably good because it's causing you to be conformed to his image rather than causing him to be conformed to your image. And if we talk about the, the issues of judgment and somehow that makes you uncomfortable, that's okay. You know, this journey of Christianity, man, when I came to Jesus, I, I'll tell you, I was so aware that I, I deserved hell and, and the message of the, the fact that I could receive forgiveness for my sin in Jesus, that was just, I mean, I, I just can't, it was so grand, so wondrous. I, I was like, sign me up now. How do I, I'm in, tell me, I, I want this. I want this forgiveness. And, and so I said yes to Jesus. And then as I began to find out who he was, I began to realize, oh, I don't think like you at all. Anybody ever have that experience? You're, you're, you're digging through the scripture and you're like, wow, he thinks completely differently than I do. And, and what I don't know what your experience has been, but my experience in Christianity has been I constantly come in contact with the revelation and the truth of who he is, and then I have to bend to him. This is not about him bending to us. Can I get a better amen? amen. We, we have to submit ourselves to him. And, and so if these things make you feel uncomfortable, that's okay. 
Come on in. I feel uncomfortable too. The water is just fine. Come on in. This is the process that we have to go through in our own hearts being conformed to his word and to his will. Now, let me work through this idea of this word judgment. So judgment, uh, when Mishpat is, is, is uh, translated judgment, it has a few different components to it. Now, just let me teach this. Just, just hear this. So it speaks of, when we talk about judgment, it speaks of the act or process that God goes through in making a decision, judgment. It's the act or the process he goes through in making a decision. It also speaks of when he executes that decision. And then thirdly, it speaks of the decision itself, the actual judgment. So to say it a different way, it's when God makes the decision, it's when he carries out the decision, and it's the outcome of the decision. That's what judgment is. Now, I want, to, I want you to get this. Judgment in and of itself is neither good nor bad, okay? It's not, it doesn't have, the, the concept of judgment is not about um, this is, you know, something that God is, you know, we kind of put it in this mentality, it's only this retributive thing. And judgment in itself is simply the, the process of the decision, the making of the decision, and the outcome of the decision. God is always judging, do you hear me? He's always making decisions. This is our God. He's always enacting his kingdom and the earth. Now, when God judges, sometimes what we experience is a restorative uh, action of that judgment. Just like in justice, it's restorative or retributive. So in, in judgment, we experience this restorative um, outcome of that judgment. And, and we call that blessing or mercy. When God does and he, he makes a decision that we experience and that's a, it's got a restorative slash redemptive kind of component to it, we call that blessing and mercy. When it's retributive, we call that vindication or vengeance, okay? But judgment in and of itself is not something to be feared. Listen to me. The judgments of the Lord are not that we should be afraid. We should reverence God, but look at what the Bible says regarding judgment. Psalm 19, verse nine. It says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Watch this. The judgments of the Lord, that's the word, Mishpah. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. <laughs> Did he just say, we are to desire God's judgments more than gold. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> I have so many believers are walking around, I'm scared, I don't know, God might judge us. Beloved, if God judges us, it's good. It's good for us. 
If he judges the earth, it's ultimately good. Well, see, the difference is if I'm looking at it through the lens of what I think I want and what is going to make me the happiest and what's going to please me the most in a temporal sense, then, yeah, I should be afraid of his judgments because guess what? God doesn't care so much about our temporal comfort. He cares about our eternal blessing. And so he will do whatever is necessary right now that will actually put into motion actions that will come out with an eternal reality of blessing. But in the moment, it may feel very difficult and challenging. And our perspective on what God is doing, it has to be according to God's lenses and not according to ours. If we think about things according to what I like, what makes me the happiest, what is the most temporally satisfying for me, we will completely reject the idea that we want God's judgment. But... If we, if we will put judgment in the category of God making decisions that are ultimately going to bring the greatest benefit, the greatest blessing, the greatest restoration, the greatest retribution against wickedness, that will, that will release the greatest amount of glory. If we recognize his judgments will release the greatest amount of glory, then we can agree with the psalmist in Psalm 19 that his judgments are true. And they're righteous altogether. And they're more to be desired than gold. They're sweeter than honey. Beloved, this is where we have to orient that we agree that when you judge, it's good. When you judge, it's true. Paul said it this way. He said, the judgment of God is according to truth. The judgment of God is according to truth. And beloved, we have to agree with the truth of who God is and the truth of what he is doing. They're true and righteous altogether. They're to be desired and prayed for. Prayed for. Do you pray for God to judge? Judge justly, judge of the earth. I, I pray that. I pray God judge us. I ask God to judge me. Uh, do you ever ask the Lord to judge you? I do. Because I don't want to be surprised when I stand before him at the judgment. I'd way rather get judged now than have a bunch of like unwelcome surprises when I stand before him then. Do you know what I'm saying? Judge me now. Ju deal with me now. Expose me now. Deal with my hidden stuff now. Deal with my attitude now. Deal with whatever is insufficient, whatever is wrong now. Deal with me right now. I want to be like you. And I want to stand before you and, 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 and see your smile. Pray for, ask him to judge. Ask him to judge the church. Now, some people, they get in a bad spirit and they go, judge the church, God. <laughs> And they think, well, God wants to destroy the church. No, God's going to build his church. God's building his church. He's building his kingdom, and he's using the church as the community of the kingdom in the earth in this age to manifest the kingdom of God in the earth. He's going to build his church, but he's not going to build it according to man's ways. He's going to build it according to his ways. I was looking at Isaiah 28 this week. It's a little side journey. 
And um, in Isaiah 28, he says, he says uh, I have set a, a stone in Zion, a choice cornerstone. And, and those that believe in him will not be put to shame. And we, we love that one. And I remember um, this old, like, I'm going to date myself a little bit. How many remember old Hosanna music back in the day? And there was this old song, I lay in Zion, a stone, a precious cornerstone. And uh, we used to sing that one. And I never knew what that meant because I just got saved. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know the Bible, but I remember saying, I lay in Zion, cornerstone, a precious cornerstone. I didn't know what the cornerstone was. But uh, when you read that in context, He's actually saying this. He goes, you've built a house of lies. <laughs> Isaiah 28, he goes, you've built a house of lies. You've built a house of injustice. I'm going to come like a flood and destroy all the injustice. And I lay in Zion a choice cornerstone. In other words, I'm gonna build from truth. I'm not just gonna build another house next to your house. I'm going to wipe that house away and I will build my kingdom on my son. And his, he's the foundation. He's the level and he's the plumb line. That's what it says in Isaiah 20. It's powerful. It's powerful. And then, so then Jesus, he tricks us. <laughs> I think he's always kind of knowing more than what we know. And so when he says it, he goes, hey, pray this, pray this thing. My kingdom come, my will be done. I go, yes, Lord. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And he goes, great. So you're saying you want your kingdom to go. I go, I, I didn't say that. He goes, yes, you did. You prayed that my kingdom would come and my will be, would be done, which means you're saying your kingdom go, your will go. He's wiping away the injustice. He's wiping away the unrighteousness. He's wiping away the house of lies so he can be the plumb line and the level and lay a firm foundation that will never be shaken. Amen. His judgments are valuable. They're good. All right. They're to be desired like honeycomb, true and righteous altogether. All right. So we, we mentioned it, that there is a retributive and restorative side of justice, of, of judgment. Now, Here's the thing that's so interesting about God is that when he does judgment, makes a decree, makes a decision, oftentimes, just as in justice with judgment, there is this dual component that there is justice and mercy, there's retribution, and, and, and there's restoration all in the same action, okay? So... If we're fearing um, or, or not desiring God to make decisions, we don't know the nature of God. We don't know what he's like. And we don't understand this. I love to say this about God. He loves to play 10-level chess. You and I don't see the depths of what he does. He moves one piece, and he has 10 implications, 100 implications that come from that one peace that he's moving. It's, it's shocking how he, he plays in multi-dimensions that we could never esteem, we could never see it. And so when he moves in judgment, oftentimes it's retribution. At the same time, it's restoration. At, at the same time, it's vindication. At the same time, it's mercy. Now just watch. 
We don't have to go any further than the cross to see this. Okay, so Jesus on the cross, perfect, spotless lamb, in the mercy of God, God takes all the sin for you, from you and from me and from every human being who would ever live, he takes all of that sin and places it on Jesus who's perfectly just. He loads him with all the sin. What is this? This is an act of mercy like we've never seen before. He takes it from us and puts it on him. And then Jesus Christ is arrested, beaten, tortured, mocked, and crucified as if he had committed all of those sins. What, I mean, what mercy is this? All of my rebellion, all of my hatred, all of my debauchery, all of my sin, the fact that I poured myself out for sin as a young man and threw myself away, he took that and he put it on his own son. This is mercy like we've never seen. See, mercy requires that you have someone who is unjust, unrighteous, and they are given something they do not deserve. This is mercy. This is the cross of Jesus. At the same time that God's moving in full mercy, he's moving in full justice. And how is it that he's moving in justice? Because a holy God cannot dwell in, with anything unholy in his presence. He cannot, it's, it's completely separate. He's perfect, imperfection cannot dwell with him. So what does he do? He judges the imperfection. He releases the righteous judgment of sin. He judges sin in a retributional justice style way. And he pours out the justice due me on Jesus. It was a perfect act of justice and a perfect act of mercy. It was a perfect act of restoration and a perfect act of retribution. All at once. This is the cross. This is the kingdom we're a part of. This is the centerpiece of our faith. So for us to conceive of God, we buy that. We believe that in the cross. We must be able to see that in all of his actions. Because he operates in this way constantly. He's always moving in judgment, moving in justice, moving in mercy, restoration, retribution, all at once. Isaiah 26, 8 and 9, it spells this out so clearly. You just got to get this verse. He says, yes, this is what Isaiah the prophet is saying. He says, in the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited for you. He's going, God, we're waiting for you, asking you to do judgment. The desire of our soul is for your name and for the remembrance of you. 
He's waiting for your judgments, and we desire your name, your fame. Verse 9, with my soul I have desired you in the night. Yes, by my spirit within me I'll seek you. Look at this phrase now. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. When God moves in judgments, humanity learns righteousness. When he moves in justice and in vindication, humanity learns righteousness. My God, if we say we don't want your judgments, then we're saying we don't want the earth to learn the ways of the Lord. We have got to get on God's team real quick, beloved, and get off of my thing, my way for my temporal blessing. When your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. And that is God's justice. Now, here's the thing. When we're looking at this issue of judgment, we have to see what Isaiah spelled out. He goes, the desire of our soul is for your name alone. With my heart, I've sought you in the night. He says, I'm waiting for you in your judgments. And this is where the rubber begins to meet the road. That when God judges and when he releases restoration on behalf of man, when he does justice, when God does justice, hear me really clearly, when he judges and does justice, he is firstly enacting his own will and doing it for his own glory. You have to hear this point. God's justice is by his own will, according to his own nature, and for his own glory. Even when he moves in justice on behalf of man, when he redeemed us on the cross, it was still firstly for his glory, though we received this massive benefit of it. You have to hear this. The reason why it's, for his, it's by his will and for his glory is if there was another basis for justice, it would be imperfect. You hear that? The only perfect basis for justice is God. So for God to enact justice according to some other standard, some, some human means, some opinion, if God were to do justice according to anything else besides himself, his own will and for his own glory, it would be twisted and perverted justice. So he has to do justice by and for his own will and for his own name and for his own glory. And when we see Isaiah, he says, in the way of your judgments, I've waited for you and desired my souls for your name. He's saying, do justice according to your will and for your glory. Now, why is that important? Because this is the core issue of justice. It's what I said before, when God, when he judges, when he does justice, it's always according to his nature. It's him expressing himself. If we want him to not do judgment, not do justice, we're asking him to be less than himself. If we want him to not do mercy, hear me, we're asking him to be less than himself. 
Now, shocking to me. I, I still have to figure out how this worked. But yesterday, we marched to the Capitol, or Friday, I should say. We marched to the Capitol, 10,000 plus, 13,000 strong. And I knew we might have a chance to uh, have some government officials there. I didn't know which ones. We had put an invitation out to the mayor of Atlanta, to the governor of the state of Georgia, and we put an invitation out to the uh, chief of police. And I just want to say we bless those that are serving in the police department. We bless you. Thank you. We bless you. The church blesses you. So there I am, and, and Bishop Garland Hunt and myself, and we're going to make some remarks and, and, and give a, a few moments of an address at the Capitol. Thousands of people around. And Hazen, I still got to ask him how this happened, taps me on the shoulder and he says, hey, Chief Rodney Bryant from the Atlanta Police Department, he's going to be here in two minutes. Can you pray for him? Now, you guys probably have followed the news that the previous chief of police has just resigned, and Chief Rodney Bryant has just stepped in to a very difficult, difficult situation, incredibly difficult. And I said, can I pray for the chief of police for Atlanta and with 10,000 plus other believers? Can I do that right now? I absolutely can. And I'm sitting here, and it just, you know, I, I, it, it took me a day to kind of think about it. God dropped that man right in our lap. And I got to lay my hands on Chief Bryant and speak blessing over him and speak, speak the kingdom over him and, and, and speak protection over him and courage over him and call all the other believers together to bless him and, and to, to come behind him in intercession and lift him and pray for all the police department. And here's the point, beloved. In Christ, we don't, we don't have people that we get to choose to be enemies towards. We have enemies. They hate us, but we don't get to hate. We only get to love. We only get to bless. We only get to serve. And I laid my hands on that man, and I don't know if he knew what was going on. I was, I was just doing what I do. I was praying in tongues and shouting, hi, here we go. And we blessed him. We blessed the police. We had everybody in the whole crowd say his name and bless him and call him into that mantle that he's chosen. If that bothers you as a Christian, you don't know the spirit that you're of. I was looking at Luke chapter, uh, chapter 9, and, and Jesus, he, he's going through the city of the Samaritans. Let me make sure I got that reference right. Yeah, Luke 9. And the disciples are trying to go through the city of the Samaritans. And the Samaritans won't let Jesus go through. And, uh, and then the disciples, they say, hey, they won't let you go through. And it's because of the Jew-Gentile racism. And they go, you want us to burn them up? You want us just to call down fire? We're feeling that Elijah thing on us right now. You want us to? Jesus goes, you guys don't know what spirit you're of. You have no idea who you are. One chapter later, 
He goes, I want to tell you a parable about the good Samaritan. The guys that had just done racism to Jesus. Jesus turns around and says, I'm going to tell you a parable about the good Samaritan. It was, sho- I mean, to, to, when you really let that land on you, it's shocking. Because the church is supposed to be in the gap of the crisis. We're supposed to be in the gap of the pain. We're supposed to be in the gap of of the bias, of the prejudice. We're supposed to get in the gap. And if my brothers and sisters are in the gap and they're hurting, then I'm hurting. And if my brothers and sisters are in the gap and they're rejoicing, then I'm rejoicing. But I am going to be with my brothers and sisters from every culture in the gap between the two, crying out for mercy in the gap. That's what we're called to be. And this is Jesus' kingdom. It's different. We're supposed to be peculiar. We shouldn't look like the right or the left. Beloved, let me be really clear. There is racist policy in the right and racist policy in the left. It is corrupt on both sides. The only one that's for true justice for humanity is Jesus. And we've got to get into that gap. We've got to petition God to pour out his spirit. Because when God does justice and when God judges, it's always firstly for his own glory and by his own nature. To ask him to not do it is to ask him to be less than himself and to, divide, to, to, to deny his very nature. To ask him to not do judgment or to ask him to not do mercy is to ask him to deny himself. And so here's what you gotta do right now. The church needs to discern It's like we've lost all discernment. It's like, we're like, if it's on the internet, it's gotta be true. I mean, why why has our discernment just gone out out the door because things have gotten taken into political spaces? That's crazy. No, we discern between falsehood and truth. We discern between righteousness and unrighteousness. We discern between justice and in, in un, uh, injustice. And how? How do we do it? By looking at God. Hear me. By looking at God. And we consider whether the actions of justice that are being espoused, that are being des- uh, described and declared and walked out, are they according to the nature and the will and the glory of God? If it's by God's will and for his glory firstly, then it's biblical justice. If it's for man's will and man's glory firstly, it's false justice. Hear me. And and here's what we've got to just deal with. The language can be super similar. It can look almost just like biblical language. In fact, it's the same terms, but the problem is it's not for the glory of God. It's not for the name of Jesus. And I want to be bold. I don't stand here in the name of Republican or Democrat. I don't stand in, 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 in my own name. I don't stand in the name of Billy. I stand in the name of Jesus Christ. And everywhere I go, I want to stand in his name. Now, that means I have to 
hear God first. I've got to hear what he says, what he thinks, what he feels. And when I am off, I have to bend and bow to his will and his name and his nature. And you know what I found? I've been serving the Lord for a long time. Almost 30 years, over 30 years now, if I do the math. I've been serving the Lord for over 30 years. And you know what? He corrects me all the time. He's always showing me how my will and my ways are not his will and his ways. Tenderly calling me to submit myself to him. Beloved, this is our journey. Conformity to the image of Christ. Not conformity to culture. If my culture as a white man in America in some way gets in the way of who I am called as a man in the kingdom of God, my culture has to submit. If my culture disallows me from lifting other people or hearing other people's story or getting in the gap and empathizing with people who have experienced things that I've never known about, if somehow my culture is too fragile that I can't hear the stories, then I gotta get my culture to get under Christ. Because Jesus, he listens to the brokenhearted. His ear is attentive to the cry of the prisoner. This is our Jesus. And if somehow my culture wants to exalt itself above Christ or write people off because they're not my culture, I have exalted culture as an idol And that is unjust because that is not the will and the way of God. That is not the nature of God. This is how we discern between false justice and Bible justice. At the center of all true justice is Jesus Christ. If he isn't esteemed and exalted at the very nature of a human act of justice, if Jesus isn't esteemed and exalted, at the least, that human act of justice, at the least, it's unjust. Because if Jesus isn't in it, it's not him. At the least, it's unrighteous. And hear me, at the worst, it's antichrist. And this is how Satan works. Just hear me. He takes things that have truth in them and fills them with poison, okay? He takes some truth and mixes it with massive deception so that you swallow the deception along with the truth. I'm just gonna risk, you know, people... They asked us yesterday, or Friday, will you, will you chant Black Lives Matter? And, and, and I, I saw a, a thing over the weekend where somebody asked our president, our vice president, will you say Black Lives Matter? And he would not say it. Well, I, I want to say this. I believe Black Lives Matter, okay? But I do not believe in the organization called Black Lives Matter. That organization, if you'll read one page of their website, is completely anti-family. They want to see the dissolution of the nuclear family. They stand on the LGBTQ platform. They're for transgenderism. 
It has so many anti-God components in it that there's no way I can get on with that organization. But do black people matter? Yeah. Do we have a problem in America where we haven't espoused that truth? Yes, we have a problem. And, and does that mean when I say black lives matter that all of a sudden I'm saying all lives don't matter? No, that's not what it means. It means that right now I want to emphasize a point that so long in our nation, many black people have felt like they don't matter. And so I want to say, yeah, I want to say something. I saw this uh, sign. I thought it was powerful. It said, matter, matter is the least. Black lives are beautiful. Black lives are valuable. Black lives are to be esteemed. Black lives are the image of God. Come on. Black lives, of course, yes. And you know what? And white lives and, and Latino lives and Asian lives, yes. But in our nation, we've had a problem being able to just say, black people matter. And what's wrong with the church? It's not a white church. <laughs> Come on, man. The church isn't a white church. It's not a black church, Asian, uh, Latino church either. It's Jesus church. It's the kingdom. It's all of us together. And so I, I just wanted to be an equal opportunity offender right there. I wanted to hit everybody. And this is what we have to deal with is that the blade that we swing is called the word of God and it cuts both ways. It cuts every direction. It cuts every direction. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if any of us stood on the right or on the left. No, no, that won't matter. It won't matter. Did you stand with Jesus? Did you stand with Jesus according to his values, according to his will and for his glory? That's the core issue. At the center of all true justice is Jesus Christ. And if he's not esteemed in the act or the movement of justice, it's not him. And I want to emphasize and end with this, the greatest injustice the earth has ever seen is the absolute abject, grotesque rejection and dishonoring of the Son of God. That's the greatest injustice the earth has ever seen. There's never been another one worse than that. The perfect, precious, holy Son of God came into the creation and humanity hated him, despised him, and, and, and spit on him and rejected him. That's the greatest injustice the earth has ever seen. And from that moment of injustice in Jesus' human life, his life on the earth, God poured out mercy. He released a judgment and poured out mercy. And here's what we have to recognize is that our rejection of Jesus and our absolute depravity, we've also rejected his glory. And in rejecting his glory, we've dehumanized and dishonored his image. And in de de dehumanizing and, and dishonoring his image, we've subverted humanity. And in that, we've sinned against God. And so it's from that place that we say, okay, because we've been unjust, because we've operated in sin, because we've carried ideologies and expressed them, we're guilty before God. And whenever we've exalted our own ways before his glory, we're guilty. 
This is one of the things that I think is challenging in the current cultural climate. Everybody's right. And everybody that disagrees with them is wrong. And there's no room in between. Where's compassion gone? Where's communication gone? Where's humility gone? Yeah, do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly. Beloved, we have to humble ourselves, recognize we don't know as we ought to know, and allow God to to really transform the way we think so that our hearts and mind are aligned with God and we love like he loves and we serve like he serves. And when the Samaritans mistreat us, we tell a story about the good Samaritan. <laughs> Didn't get one amen on that one. <laughs> when we tell this when we have a Samaritan mistreat us, we tell the story about the good Samaritan. And we do like Jesus and not like the culture. The culture is spinning out of control. There's something greater than our culture. It's Jesus Christ. He's the only answer. He's the only answer. And he is the only one who is justice. Amen? Amen and amen. All right, let's stand. Praise God I didn't melt down crying all over myself this week. Hallelujah. I'll just tell you, my mom told me, when you cry like that, for every tear you cry, I cry too. She said, I can't handle it. Try to cry in prayer. Be precise in preaching and prophetic Hey, I'm saying today, Lord, I need the knowledge of you. I need the understanding of who you are as a God of judgment and a God of justice. I'm saying I need that. If you're saying that with me, I just want to invite you to raise your hands. Just raise your hands to him. Lord, we need you. We need you. We want to see you. Lord, we, we want to stand in that place, even if it makes us uncomfortable that our hearts would become more conformed to your image, more like you. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray, press us in to the knowledge of God. Conform us to the image of Christ. Lord, we repent where we've been unjust in the way we've thought, the way we've, we've lived, where we've allowed ourselves to be moved more by our own culture instead of the kingdom of God. We repent. And we ask for mercy. I stand in the gap and I ask for mercy. Would you just ask for mercy with me? Ask him for mercy for yourself, for your family, for the church, for the government, for our nation. Mercy, 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 mercy. God, I pray for our president. I ask for mercy. Pray for the vice president. I pray for mercy. I pray, God, for the lawmakers and, and all the legislators in Congress. I ask for mercy. I pray for our state senators and, and, and House uh, representatives. Mercy, God. I'm asking for mercy, God. I pray for the, the chief of police in Atlanta and all the other surrounding metro Atlanta counties and cities. Mercy, 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 mercy. 
And I say, God, instruct the judges of the earth, Psalm 2, to do justly. Be instructed, you judges, you lawmakers, you leaders. Do justly. And as the church, we take up that cause. Jesus, you are the great intercessor. We stand in the gap. We want to live peculiarly. Thank you. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for clarifying to us. We don't want to be swept away by false justice or non-kingdom ideology, but we don't want to lose the truth of your heart for humanity. Come, Holy Spirit. Seal these things in us, we ask. Oh, we love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen and amen. God bless you.